Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Brave Room. With me here, we have Leland from Bandai Namco Southeast Asia, Brand Marketing Manager. So, Leland's here to talk to us about one of my favorite topics, which is localization. An important thing, like an important primer for localization, I guess, is that no one will talk to me about this because it's such a niche topic that no one actually has Mm -hmm. a, a formal opinion on it. Mm-hmm. So, I guess we can start off with why would Bandai Namco have an opinion on uh, localization? Let's explain to the audience who may have never heard what a Bandai Namco is. Okay, so Bandai Namco is actually, if you don't really know what, uh, what the company is or who they are, it's a Japanese gaming company. So a lot of the titles that we work on are a lot of the animes um, that you've watched. So um, things like Dragon Ball, Naruto, One Piece. So these are the games that we have in our arsenal and our portfolio. So what's really important about localization, I'm really happy that you're talking about it because um, if you're a Japanese company that's trying to go global, you have to acknowledge that there are different audiences from different markets and you know like some of our fans in thailand and indonesia obviously there would be fans of the anime ip and then you know obviously there there is this huge desire to see like thai language for certain games that they actually really love so for example there are a lot of games that we've actually localized in thai language so the first one if i'm not wrong for for banana namco to localize the game in thai is actually jump force and then we actually proceeded to localize Dragon Ball, Z Kakarot, and also One Piece Pirate Warrior 4. So these are the, the kind of titles that we have localized. And obviously, this is actually to target to our Thai fans to let them know that we are actually, we do have you guys in mind and that we do want to create a game that you'll be able to enjoy in your native language as well. And not forgetting that, I think, I mean, just jumping on to Tekken and how it's such a huge popular IP everywhere around the world, right? We actually did introduce a new character, uh, Fakumram, last year. And, and this is a character that's specifically created to showcase the Muay Thai kind of combat for Thai audience. Oh my god, you, you said that Fakumram came out last year. I, f- I thought mm-hmm. it was like, it felt like forever ago. Oh my god. Yeah, that's because we're all we've been in lockdown and, and I think time uh-huh. slows down when you're <laughs> Yeah man. Uh, it's it's like I say in almost every episode, time is convoluted in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So we we'll get to Falcum Ram in a bit, by the way. So with localization, I'm glad you brought that up. I should point out Ban Wonderworld was distributed by Bandai Namco in Southeast Asia, right? Yes. And I know you guys weren't behind the localization for it, I'm I'm guessing. But it no, does no. it does have one of my favorite localizations ever, which is the Indonesian version of it. Has one of the costumes. I can't remember what the English name is anymore because I only refer to it by the by the Indonesian version. It's mm-hmm. a pig that does a ground pound attack. It's called Babi Penghentam. Ah. Uh. <laughs> never fails to get a chuckle out of me, and I think that's kind of what the point of localization is, right? Like. Mm-mm. And if you've been watching anime for a long time and you don't just watch like the biggest anime, there will always be like a super cultural reference that just does not carry over. Mm-hmm. And you know, would would you agree that this seeing that but for your culture is pretty great as well? 
Yeah, it is. Um, and, and just to add on, right, I think to have like kind of in-game items that represent your local culture is, is invaluable. I mean, to our fans, you know. So Dragon Ball Z, when we actually released that, an in-game item that we introduced was a Pad Thai dish. So that's something that obviously it's very native to our Thai audience and, and it just couldn't come at a, a more perfect timing when we obviously announced that we do actually have a Thai localized version for, for the game. Yeah, I think the idea of like having a Thai localization especially is really, really good for that market because I don't think there's many other countries that speak Thai outside of Thailand. I don't know, just just mm-hmm. a hunch. So I think when you're, when you're talking about audience goodwill, right? Like mm-hmm. the idea is, oh no, this is unquestionably for me. Whereas, you know, compared to something like an English localization, I don't think... When you guys, you know, when you release Dark Souls in English, I don't think you released it in English for the Malaysian audience. I think you released it for, I don't know, like maybe some small country like the US or something. <laughs> I think I think for, for Western kind of like, uh, like, I mean, like Dark Souls and stuff, it's more global. So there isn't yeah. actually kind of like a unique item or identity that anyone can actually resonate with. Yeah, compared to like the Pad Thai in... In Dragon Ball Kakarot. Did you do anything similar for Jump Force as well? I wasn't part of the team that launched the program. I think I joined after the launch. So I'm not too certain what was actually done for Jump Force in particular. But we did actually bring the game to, obviously, Thailand Game Show, where we actually, I mean, brought it to the audience so that they can actually enjoy the, the build at the event itself. Yeah. And obviously, like with localizations... I feel like stuff like adding Pad Thai and the entirety of Fakum Ram's existence, those are considered like, you know, very big shows of localization. But there's also a lot of like smaller shows as well, which you can do in like the text and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you guys like ever worry about like that you might be taking something away from the base, the original source material when you when you do that? I mean, we do actually, I mean, when we do localization, we have a specific localization team that oversees everything end to end. So I don't think there is that particular worry because they are experienced in kind of in their field of work. They know what to change and how they should phrase certain game like lingos in the local native speak. So, which is the reason why we actually hired our in-house localization manager. She's a native speaker of Thai. She's actually pretty well known. So, I think to have that resource available in different companies to actually work on certain localization projects is invaluable. And we take that in-house as well, you know, so that we can actually kind of QC the, the entire process and we can QC all the, the source text and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's like a subset of people who don't get how important localization is. They're going to say like, well, why not just throw it into Google Translate and then, you know, let, let God yeah. sort out the rest. Oh man, have you ever tried translating something using Google Translate? You, I mean, if you can actually understand what the, the translated text mean, it's kind of like a bonus. But then, you know, like with such a complex language like Thai, it, you really need someone to, to be able to speak the language fluently and, and be able to, to, you know, bring out that cultural nuance. And I think, in, I mean, even for dates, right? Like Thai people, they use different date system in, in comparison to ours. So do we follow that kind of particular date system or do we use kind of like the global Western universal ones like 
10th January to 2021, that kind of thing. But that's just like a completely different kind of system where, well, I wouldn't understand, but my localization, our localization manager would kind of be in a better position to advise us on certain stuff like that. So do you guys actually like transfer like dates and all into the Thai system as well? I think it's it's not necessary because our Thai audience they do understand like if we, we do when we when we say tenth January twenty twenty one, they do understand that it's the Western date. So it's a bonus where we can actually do that, but it's not necessary to to do that. But I mean for our our social posts, we actually kind of translate localized games into Thai so that our audience can actually engage with our social posts a little bit better. Yeah, that and I, I think like when you're handling the game versus like the things, the stuff around the game, there's you need two different approaches. Uh, mm. I brought that up because you know, sidetracking into anime for a bit, there was the Kaguya-sama dub, uh, not 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 the dub, the when it came to Netflix, mm-hmm. the, they did their own translations for it, and it was what I call overly localized, like almost hilariously so. <laughs> And I think the best the best way to look at that kind of stuff is if you're watching, like slice of life stuff. That's the best mm-hmm. place to look for localizations, because you know there's no big dragon or anything. You so all yeah. you have is like pure. So every single price was translated oh. into USD. Oh gosh! <laughs> and, I mean, uh, speaking of dubbing, right? Like I was actually watching Money Heist. I was watching in the Spanish language and then my husband was actually watching in the English dub. Then he was like, oh, this is this series is so bad. And I was like, what do you mean by it's so bad? It's done really well. And he was like, oh, the dubbing is just so bad. It's like out of sync. And then like he ha- actually needs to read the, the subtitles to actually understand what they're actually talking about. Oh. Uh, what's, what's the original language for Money Heist? I'm a bit of a Luddite here. Uh, it's Spanish. Ah, okay. That's why. Yeah. Mm. I think like... The weirdest thing is talking to Americans about this because Americans are used to everything being, you know, America-centric. So one of my favorite movies of all time is Shin Godzilla. Like, that movie is like art to me. Okay. When was that released? I think it was 2017 or 2018. Um... I, I watched it on a plane in, I think, 2017. I can't remember. Okay, okay. But, so I love that movie. I think it's gorgeous and there's this Godzilla group I'm a part of on Facebook the reasons why I shan't get into okay and there's a bunch of Americans there because you know Godzilla vs Kong just came out so that yeah I love I love that movie uh, honestly like hand to heart I was like it was just one night and I was like hey let's go watch a kind of like a a no-brainer film like a stupid film and then when when I went in I was blown away like I, I mean honestly it's it's not it's not like a very complex movie, but I think they brought something that, that could turn out really cheesy, but they made it into a heartwarming kind of twist. I think it's really nice. Yeah, no, I've heard good things about that movie. So for some reason, these guys on Facebook, rather than talk about how much they like that movie, they needed to shit on something else to, oh. to talk about. And they were like, why, why does everyone say Shin Godzilla is good? That movie's terrible. Like the the uh the acting is so bad. Godzilla looks so fake. I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> I've actually never seen Shin Godzilla before, so I yeah, probably really need to check it out. It is a Japanese movie. Like okay, it, okay, okay. I can. I have expectations in mind now. 
on the localization topic, like mm-hmm. that movie was made by Japanese people for Japanese people. Yeah. There, there's a scene where, without getting into spoilers, basically they're talking about the possibility of, of a nuke. And, you know, this okay. guy like solemnly stands up and is like, no, a nuke will never drop on Japan again. And it's this huge emotional moment. And like, you, you know, you have to like kind of think back, like, oh, yeah, Japan would have problems with, with another nuke being dropped. Yeah, for sure. And but a lot of people like, you know, they talk about that scene being like, they don't understand why the, why the drop like, yeah, so that's, you can't localize that. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, like, like when I mean, since you're actually talking about you know Japanese content for Japanese audience, right? That's kind of like what we face as well. I mean, a lot of the assets that we have are from the Japanese team, our global team. So some of the assets are really not localized for the different markets. So imagine like having a 16 minutes long video of their producers speaking about a certain game. Well, that could be really useful, but. They have to understand that, you know, for certain platforms like Instagram and Facebook, I mean, in our video kind of like platforms, it's just not ideal to have a 16-minute long video sitting on the internet or on a small screen. So I think, you know, like like the appetite for consumption, it's very different from, you know, like a Japanese audience to a Singaporean audience to an audience in Thailand or Indonesia. It's just very different. And I think we've not unfortunately been able to kind of catch up to that that need to to localize i mean we're we are making good strides but i think not fast enough but yeah, god, yeah god bless you for bringing this podcast back on track by the way this is about to turn into a shin godzilla appreciation special <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no definitely when you talk about like behavior like consumer behaviors i had mm. that's a bit out of my wheel cage so I, I couldn't tell you what you know japanese consumer behavior is but I could tell you that Malaysians do not like long videos. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, if it doesn't ca- catch your attention in three seconds, I think you're done. Essentially, that's the case with attention span, right? Like, things are getting a lot quicker, shorter, and you need to respond in a shorter time frame. Yeah, and a lot of people like to use this as a way to, like, you know, cross their arms and go, Phew, the younger generation has no patience. I've been playing a new mobile game on my phone. Oh, yeah? And like it's a rhythm game, and I cannot finish a song without like notifications ruining it for me. Like, oh, I so, understand. Yeah, so I'm like, I think it's something about like just the way the phone interface is designed is like promotes like short attention spans. Yeah, and, and, I mean, it's the same, right? Like you're watching Netflix one moment, and then you have like five messages from from your friends coming in and your group chats just go crazy and then you have to keep swiping up that that notification bubble that that just keeps coming up so you know it's like just just information overload from everywhere around us yeah my ipad has all notifications off explicitly for this reason okay well i mean if that's like a device that you want to use solely for entertainment consumption i think that's a great choice yeah like just you know nothing comes into this into this device and I know someone in the comment is being a, is being a smartass and saying like, uh, why not just turn on notifications? You think I'm going to turn off notifications when my freaking boss is going to message me? Yeah, sometimes I turn off notifications for groups. But, you know, anyway, I digress. So <laughs> That's okay. It's like, the small slice of life stuff is what keeps the podcast, like, from being a university lecture. 
So okay. Complaining okay. about group notifications is entirely human. I believe Plato once said. Uh, but very entertaining though. Like like you know, I get a lot of my daily entertainment from from a lot of my group chats. So. Of course, that's yeah. Presumably, you're in a group chat with people you like. So. <laughs> yeah. And one day you notice that you know you're you're just there's no notification coming into that group chat anymore. Then you realize that they started a whole entire group chat without you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I think I can relate to that. <laughs> Looking at you, random group chat. And that has plenty to do with localization. So let's talk about Fakum Ram. Mm. Because, you know, we talked about something being unashamedly Japanese. Fakum Ram is unashamedly Thai. Mm-hmm. Like, he has got that Muay Thai, like, body type. Mm-hmm. Which I am kind of, like, all down for. Because I think... We have too many generically buff people in video games. I mean, mm-hmm. and do you, do you want to like talk a bit about like just the kind of work that goes into that? Because obviously, I assume Tekken doesn't just Google image Muay Thai and then the first image that comes up is the new character. I mean, I, I hope I actually have kind of insight into the development of this character, but unfortunately I don't. But when we did receive that kind of the information from our global team who, with the announcement on when Takuman will be released and when it will be announced, we got really excited about that because we do know that our Thai audience would go insane for this for this character. And if actually the YouTube, like Takuman character announcement trailer, you'll see a lot of like huge reactions from the crowd. If I'm not wrong, let me check here. I think this was, uh, Fakum Ram was actually announced at a Thai Tekken event. So then that wouldn't make it an announcement for like in 2020 though. If I'm not wrong, in 2019, just one year ago, yeah. I think it was announced one year yeah, ago. Yeah, someone has uploaded the crowd reaction to it. Mm-mm. If I'm not wrong, it was actually a te- Tekken World Tour, one of the, the pit stops for Tekken World Tour. Yeah, and I think what's especially special about you know, doing this in Tekken is Tekken is like the best game to talk about localization with because mm. every character by default speaks their native tongue. Yeah. So like And and they just we also released like a new character, like this Polish Prime Minister. Oh yeah, yeah. Just, Lydia. Yeah. Yeah. I love reading about Lydia just because fans are so mad about her. Because she's really yeah. good. <laughs> I think you I mean, like, haven't sorry? I haven't personally played played that character before but you know i'll try uh, when i go back to the office <laughs> so i think you're the third guest i'm going to do to say this to but i highly recommend this twitter account called scrub quotes it's the best scrub quotes yeah it's people who get salty about losing in video games and they send like hateful messages so <laughs> people screenshot them and then submit them and the scrub quotes account posts them it's the best <gasps> seeing is seeing, it on instagram it's on twitter on twitter okay it's my favorite Twitter account. And when Lydia first came out, like it was a week of people complaining about Lydia, being like, I refuse to play in tournaments where Lydia is not banned. And I'm just like, oh, cry harder, please. <laughs> this only gets better. <laughs> but yeah, no, back to my point. The fact that Tekken characters all speak their native language is a really, really cool thing. Mm-mm. That's an important point to make the character a lot more relatable to the audience that they want to target. And I think, you know, that, I mean, they've done a really great job with every single character that they've released. So, you know, if you're looking at kind of a localization, if I can say so myself, a localization masterpiece, I think that would be, that would be it, like the gold standard for creating characters 
and imp- implementing their language and also their their culture into one single character. Yeah, definitely. Because I think a problem, a huge problem with other fighting games is that they'll have the multinational cast, but they will have a uniform, like you know, language dub, right? Mm. So it's this character is Japanese, but he talks like this in the English dub. <laughs> I think I think that's the reason why, like a lot of the Asian kind of audience, they would prefer Japanese audio and English subs. Yeah. Rather than English audio, you know, for for the games that they wanna that they actually they're fans of. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's why Tekken is great because each character is you know speaking a native language. Mm. So that's uh, like even Kuma speaks his native language. <laughs> I, I want to know if the, if a bear actually came into the recording studio for Kuma. That would be amazing. <laughs> Maybe they've got like sound effects, like a whole library of sound effects to to kind of use. Damn, I was, I was really hoping that you guys brought in a bear and just gave him a microphone. Just be like, okay, now do do the getting hit noise. <laughs> I think development costs and production costs would be a little bit out of our ballpark, and you know, like animal rights activists might. Make, make sure the bear gets paid. Make sure you put some money into the bear's retirement and it's all legal. <laughs> that could be something new. Where you might be onto something new. But yeah, no, I'm trying to think. See the problem the problem with Tekken is that I'm not like super, super familiar with Tekken. Like outside of Fakumram, Leroy, and Lydia, my knowledge mm-hmm. of the new DLC characters is very, very shallow. Mm-hmm. I mean, will the DLC characters come out periodically? I mean, to be honest, I haven't tested out the characters themselves, and and obviously, like my job is to actually just communicate to fans about who the characters are. But I mean, obviously, I would love to have the opportunity to try the characters myself. But honestly, I haven't had the time to. Just been too busy. Yeah, yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. Like, I think literally our last episode. I complained about how you'd think that someone whose job was to play video games would have time to play video games, but you'd be wrong. <laughs> yep, yep. There are a lot of like marketing meetings, a lot of different stuff that goes behind the background that that you know takes up some of, most of the time. So a lot of my friends were like, they're, they're, I mean, it's a dream job for them, right? Like, oh, you work at Bandai Namco, so you get to play all the games. I was like, yes, when I do have the time. You know, yeah. yes with an asterisk. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> then disclaimer, if time permits. <laughs> but yeah, so like, aside from the very successful announcement, like, have you ever gotten any feedback that someone's just like, I'm playing Fakum Ram just because he's Thai and I'm Thai? I don't think so. But I mean, when we did announce the release of Fakum Ram on our, on our pages, uh, we re- received really overwhelming feedback and positive kind of comments from our Thai audience. Like we did a post in Thai as well with Thai captions. So so that kind of resonated with our audience. But they were, they were just really excited. But post-launch, I'm sure a lot of people tried it out um, and they, they tried to get the DLC and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, I think what also really helps the national pride with Fakum Ram is the fact that when he came out, he was busted. Like, oh yeah, he was good. The trailer was really well done. I would say. I mean, like it was. It, it came out. He came out with a bang. It's like, what is this going on? And then there's like Thai music kind of playing in the background. 
and it's like, hmm. and then and then like he, he just ripped out from the from that that cage that he's in, and well, that's just impactful. Yeah, definitely. When I say he was busted, I mean like also gameplay wise, he was really really good. <laughs> I don't I don't yeah. remember the specifics of it, but I just remember the phrase, "Oh my God, it's Fakum Ram. What do I do?" <laughs> In, in case any listener has not figured out by now, I really enjoy listening to people complain about hard-fighting game characters. It's, yeah. It's the, the greatest joy in the world is watching people cry because they don't want to get good. Wait, they don't want to get good or they're not good? They don't want to get good. They, their solution when they see a hard character is not, oh, I'm going to learn the matchup. Their solution is, oh, this character needs to be gone. I don't want oh. this character to exist anymore because they're too hard to fight against. So uh, that's a bit strange though. I mean, if you want to get good at the game, you need to kind of know all the characters and how to get over them. Yeah, you you have... Losing is the first step to winning. Yep, yep. And not, not enough people know that. This is like the second episode that I've gone on this tangent, but don't worry about it. So, our last topic for the show. Mm. In case... You are, you've been in a coma for the past two years. You know, first of all, thank you for listening to the podcast. Secondly, there's a bit of a pandemic going on right now. It's a teensy, teensy little bit of pandemic. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and a lot of companies have been thinking about, you know, what do they do? <laughs> and this is the platform to talk about what Bandai Namco has been doing all this while. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with the band, uh, pandemic kind of happening all around, the it's really... The pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Bandai Namco yeah. is going to like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was just looking at, like, uh, Bandai and the pandemic. I was like, oh, the pandemic. Yeah, but anyways, like, the 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 Bandai Namco in the p- pandemic, so the pandemic, is not actually... I mean, it's, I mean we, we work around it, right? Like, everyone else does. I mean... A lot of our offline events, it's unfortunate that we can't participate or we can't go to these events because what really showcases the games to consumers is during events and they get to actually try try the hands on at this game physically. And I think I think having that that you know slice of like ten minutes to play a certain game, I think it really kind of excites the fans. But not being able to kind of give them this opportunity to have a go at these kind of games is is it's a huge setback for us but I mean obviously there, there are ways to work around it and and I think for us we, we try to be a lot more empathetic to consumers all around Asia and especially our territory so I think for us we just want to make sure that you know we are with our consumers from start to the end so when the pandemic first started happening a lot of us I mean most of the countries around the world went into lockdown you can't get out you can't kind of you know when you when you there are a lot of restrictions around movement so how we worked around it is you know like we know that people are staying have to stay at home so we actually gave out a, we ran a lot of kind of social campaigns to give away digital codes to our fans so codes to games like Ace Combat, Tekken, Jump Force, a lot of the popular games, we do actually want to bring that to our our fans around Southeast Asia when, you know, they're, they're stuck at home. They can't do much, you know. We just want to bring a, a slice of entertainment and joy into their lives. Yeah, definitely. I think what you said about the lack of physical events, like mm-hmm. that, that struck something in me because... I remember I tried out Dragon Ball Fighter Z 
mm. like at the first PlayStation Experience Malaysia. Mm. And I think I would not have had the same impression of that game if I had, you know, just downloaded a demo. Yeah. There's, some, there's something I mean, about being physically there, you know, everyone watching you kind of thing that's that makes it special. Yeah, and then and then you know like you can see the reaction of other players as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of when they're at the game kiosk, right? They'll be, you know, like how are they reacting? Are they you know, is is it's exciting, you can tell right from like from their faces. So I think, you know, just that human interaction at gaming events is something that we do miss. But obviously to stay safe, we just have to do what we can from afar. So which is the reason why I mean you you do see that yeah, there's a lot more digital content from from different publishers and different companies so for us we did an event a, a very small one just to showcase what we have upcoming in 2020 back then to our fans and and this was uh, put together as kind of like a, a showcase of some sorts and and it was called be any fun life but but obviously if if the opportunity came we would love to you know be able to see everyone again in the respective countries for yeah. events yeah yeah definitely dude like physical events are just you you need those man you there's only mm. so far you can get just down you know sitting in your living room downloading a video game you need you need that human connection and mm. sometimes you need that helpful kiosk attendant to tell you that oh, that's you press this button to get over the thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like man it's it's cool that you that you guys do that though you know the the whole outreach thing because i think a lot of people in the pandemic kind of need that i mean and the the quickest way is to send digital codes to like where we can like whatever we can source whatever we can corral within our resources right i mean i mean obviously if possible we do want to put together like a care pack for some of the winners but you know like even logistics is i mean it would be an issue because we wouldn't be able to go into the office to pack and send like these care packages out so the only thing that we can do is offer some sort of respite through digital codes you know yeah definitely and also like you know at at the end of the day you know just like for example having a copy of little nightmares 2 that's a good weekend that you've just sorted out for yourself yeah absolutely yeah I mean, if you're a family with kids, you know, like if it's a game that, that, you know, your children can enjoy at the same time as you, I think that's like a bonus, right? To keep the entire family entertained. I wouldn't call Little Nightmares 2 the, like the, in particular, (laughs) game I I play in front of children. Not child, like not child friendly, but I mean like things like, oh, Taiko. Oh yeah, yeah, um, that's, that's, that makes way more sense. Maybe not Little Nightmares 2, maybe don't let your... That game gave me nightmares. Like, oh boy, uh, that school level. I think in general, like community managers and you know digital digital marketing people, especially in the pandemic, you you guys have got your work cut out for you because you do have to work a bit harder to maintain that customer relation, don't you? Yeah, and and I mean everyone's going online, right? So, in a sense, you're also competing with other companies to get your consumers' attention. Yeah. So we were just talking about how, like, our phone, like, we, we spend so much, our, our attention's diverted everywhere. But I think that's the, even the case more so for when the pandemic started. Like, many people are just, you know, stuck at home, bored, looking for content. Should we try this? Should we try that? And then, you know, just have to stand out in one way or another. Oh, God. I, 
I was in the UK when the pandemic started. Oh, like ho, was, ho, snap. Yeah, I was uh, doing my final year in uni at the time. And I still remember the amount of ads that were just now more than ever. It's just like, oh, God, I got like to the point that that phrase causes a reaction in me now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry I'm, for triggering like un- unpleasant memories. No, no I'm, just saying, I'm just saying like, so the, the point is that like, you know, you, you do really have to work to stand out because trust me, the first draft of whatever any company has written as their big pandemic outreach message, I promise you it's been written already. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, if we do have another pandemic, I touch, uh, touch wood to say that, you know, if I mean, if anything happens, we have a playbook of how to do, how to communicate, how to write our copy. It's everywhere. Yeah. Would you agree then? The, the key is just remember that you're talking to people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, we need to know that and acknowledge that ultimately our end consumer is the one who's going to be consuming this. Like, it's not a computer. We're not communicating through a computer. We are communicating through a computer to someone, you know. We're not talking to a robot or anything. We're not creating copy and putting it up on Facebook or or our social channels. And and then that's it. We need to know that there are people on the other side of the screen have feelings have ideas, have emotions, and have their own thoughts and stuff like that. And we need to respect every single thing that that they, they feel and they, they think, you know. So, I mean, the best thing that we could do is just to be a little bit more empathetic during the pandemic situation. And hopefully, like, during this period, it's actually got, got gotten slightly better in the different cities and different countries. So, you know. I will just mention now, not where I am. <laughs> Oh Wait, yeah, I'm in the COVID hotspot of Malaysia. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it lifted for a little while and then it went back to and then it dropped. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, for Singapore, it's not. Uh, I mean, we're doing a really great job. I have to say, for our government they're they're really quick to respond, which is the reason why the cases, even though it's like only in like the twenties or thirties, but we are kind of made to stay home as much as possible. And I think it's really commendable, you know. Good for you guys. It must be nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're a lot more we're we're a lot more fortunate than than you know our counterparts in other other areas of the world. Yeah, definitely. Also, before we get out of here, I should just mention, I'm I'm going to take this moment to shill shamelessly. Scarlet Nexus comes out next month. Yeah, yeah, that's something that that that's really exciting for us as well because it's a completely brand new IP. Mm-hmm. Mm, so so that's some, a lot to to look forward to and it's a new genre called brain punk which is gonna be something you guys will have to experience yourself yeah at the time of recording there's a demo out now for playstation yeah for sure so just try it out and i'm pretty sure it'll blow your mind i mean blow your brains out brain punk huh just kidding oh it's also got like my favorite like poorly veiled metaphor for interconnectedness and i say that with love in my heart i love how like blatant that metaphor is it's like red strings connecting people i wonder what this means (laughs) oh you'll have to find out it's actually there's a a storyline behind it and and the the game will bring you through the entire narrative so yeah so just stay tuned yeah and play it to find out yeah it's it's just like it's one of those things where like the symbolism is so heavy-handed. I love it. 
it's like oh yeah. man when you activate the the link power you know the red string comes out of you and your friend and the stronger your bond with your friend the stronger your attack is gee i wonder what the lesson is here who knows <laughs> uh, who knows honestly but it, but it's isn't it interesting like how you know like in certain cultures you know sometimes red strings represent kind of that that marriage that bond yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not 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 spoiling anything, but don't take my word for it. Just play for yourself to find out what it actually represents. Definitely, definitely. And well, on that note, that's it from us for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Leland for coming on the podcast. And thanks for having me. Entertaining the Shin Godzilla Power Hour. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll look for it, and once once we've uh, I've actually watched the movie, we can have another round of discussion. Definitely, definitely. This has been The Brave Room. Don't forget to leave a comment. And at 2,000 plays, I am forced to take one of the audience's terrible, terrible suggestions. But alternatively, as I mentioned last episode, we did what we call the video game journalist confessions, where we talk a bit about what it's like, you know, being the people who play the games for the monies. And I want to take audience suggestions. Like, I want to take audience questions. So please... Please comment and hit me with those so that I can snarkily dismiss all your complaints about the industry. (laughs) It's been an episode of The Brave Room. Thank you so much and take care, guys. Be nice to each other. Except for you, Tim. Thank you.